North Carolina was clearly the better team against Duke last Saturday night in uh, Chapel Hill. Out to the KDUS hotline go uh, to talk North Carolina and Duke and uh, some more ACC. We're now joined in the sports zone by Aaron Beard of Associated Press. And Aaron, thanks for making time for us. Carolina now 10 and 1 in conference play, uh, 18 and 4 overall heading into tonight's game against Clemson. What has impressed you the most about Uber Davis's season this year with Carolina? Well, I think there's two things that really stand out. One is chemistry. Uh, you know, you have everybody's got the portal they can sort of dabble in to figure out, okay, what's our weaknesses? What can we adjust? The overhaul they did in the offseason seems to have worked better than they probably could have almost hoped, right? Because, you, add, you know, losing Caleb Love is not because he's a bad player or a bad guy. But if you think about the way North Carolina's offense runs, R.J. Davis is a guy who needs the ball in his hands. Caleb Love is a guy who needs the ball in his hands. So Caleb Love is out and thriving in Arizona. R.J. Davis is now playing at a first-team All-American level. Uh, Harrison Ingram proved the other night what a dazzling addition he's been for them in terms of his range to play all over the court. Cormac Ryan, they brought him from Notre Dame, a veteran, competitive guy, willing to play defense. There's a lot of things they've done well. The other thing, frankly, is defense. I, you know, the, you, When you talk North Carolina for years, it's always been the, the offensive efficiency, the fast pace, run, run, run. And they're sitting here in the top ten of Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. That's not a place they've been but a handful of times going back to Dean Smith's final year. Um, they defend well, they defend together, and they seem to communicate very well, which goes back to the, the chemistry part. Those are the things that have really sort of changed so much from last year when things went so wrong. You mentioned Ingram. Uh, yeah, we saw him out here when he was with Stanford. Uh, you know, I think it was, I thought he was the best all around player on the floor Saturday against Duke. Uh, you know, he, we saw the skill set when he was at Stanford. He was obviously heralded, very heralded coming out of high school. What, what has he done specifically to, uh, you know, maybe up his game or why does this work so well, what works so well with him at Carolina so far? I, you know, the thing that got me the other night was just sort of, he was everywhere. It was like a heat-seeking missile. You know what I mean? It was like the ball goes on the yeah. floor, and he goes after it and flings the ball back to half court to save a possession that ends up with a three-pointer. He was shooting from outside, which is obviously a critical piece to this whole thing of North Carolina. When they went to the title game two years ago, they were able to stretch the, the, the floor from, let's say, a forward position. They couldn't do it last year. Ingram hits five threes the other night. That's an example. Um, but, you know, the other thing is his rebounding has just been – just at an incredible level right now. I believe it's five straight games with 13 or more rebounds. He had 19 at North Carolina State. That's the most by any UNC player ever in that rivalry. And that's a long-running wow. in-state rivalry yeah. with big names like, you know, Tyler Hansbrough and everything else. And a six-seven guy did it. I think that tells you a lot about his energy and his motor, but also the attacking mindset he's playing with this year. You mentioned R.J. Davis, who's been one of the best offensive players in college basketball this year. How's his game evolved throughout his years in Chapel Hill? You know, he's always been a guy that you could watch and you could see almost, um, you know, that he had like a mid-range game. You know, he could shoot the three. He could score. There was a lot of situations where you might say he might be the better guy to sort of run the point when Caleb Love was there, maybe a little bit better decision maker. Um, right now, they've got it where Elliot Cadeau, a freshman they've brought in who's a terrifically gifted passer, is sort of running the point more with R.J. Davis playing off the ball, but R.J. is playing on the ball as well. 
his his mid range game has just is really incredible. I mean, he's hitting floaters and you know contested shots off the dribble. Um, you know, the thirty six he had um, the other week against Wake Forest. It was it was the whole board of it. You know, attacking the rim. You know, he's a guy that he's six foot. If he was six four, people would talk more and more about him, like as an NBA prospect, let's say. But he's another one of those guys that you talk about competitive will, competitive urge. He seems to rise to those occasions. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, of course, is when you have a guy like that that's getting as much usage as he is, shooting three, attacking off the dribble, he's an elite free throw shooter. And that makes such a difference in today's game, too, when all these we're seeing all across the country, unranked teams are beating ranked teams. You know, things go wrong. North Carolina's loss at Georgia Tech as a team, they didn't hit free throws that night. You know, the margins have gotten smaller, and when you have a guy that you can go to and say, here's a 90% free throw shooter, we can give him the ball, he can create, or he can get to the line and make it happen, that makes such a difference for a team, and it just feels like he has really blossomed uh, with this sort of being the guy that everybody looks to in that offense. What areas can Carolina improve upon, and, and uh, you know, you know, what, what's the ceiling for them? Is it seemingly the national championship or lower than that when we get to March and early April? You know, this is a question that myself and some of the other reporters that have been covering them this year have kind of asked ourselves because earlier when they when they started 3-0 and and 4-0 and in conference, you're kind of looking and the defensive numbers are really good, but you, you haven't seen it from them in the past. So you're like, I don't know if this is, let's say, shot luck. You know, maybe they're getting fortunate with some of these you know, bad three-point shooting nights by opponents, how much of that is on them versus, you know, their defense. But when you get to, you know, 9-1 and one and 10-1 and one and beating Duke where, you know, you're doing all these things well, like you start thinking, okay, this is who they seem to be. They seem to be a competitive, communicating uh, defense that sort of takes on that challenge that seems willing to defend. Um, they have better three-point shooting. I mean, if Cormac Ryan could get, you know, his stroke going a little bit more, that elevates their game more. Um, you know, they have an Armando Baycott as a fifth-year guy who everybody sort of said, well, he's taking a back seat this year. And then while Ingram was probably, I thought, the best player, like you said, against Duke, Baycott was dominant inside for long yeah. stretches of that game and, and, had, and got the best of Kyle Filipowski. You start going down that list and checking the boxes, you have a, a great perimeter score. You have a rangy forward that can shoot threes. You have a post presence. You play fast and you're defending. And by the way, they still rebound really well. You start looking at that, and you're like, well, that, that's a recipe that can do a lot of things well come March. Aaron Beard of the Associated Press, currently in the Sports Zone. Okay, Duke, 16-5 and five overall, 7-3 and three in conference play. I've watched them multiple times this year. I'm not sure what I think. Aaron, help me out here. How would you evaluate Duke after 21 games? You're, you're like I am. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny is if you look back at last year and John Shire's first year, they were sitting, I think as of, you know, the first week of February, they were about 17 and 7, 17 and 8. And then they went on a tear. They won their last six regular season games. They won the ACC tournament. They ended up with a bad matchup against a really physical Tennessee team with their most physical wing player, Mark Mitchell, out with a, an injury. But they, they sort of figured it out, some things out about this time. So I'm kind of looking at this saying, okay, is there that sort of that kick, that finishing kick from this group? Because I think from an upside standpoint, you see a lot there. Kyle Filipowski has expanded his game. You know, he's had surgery in the offseason on some hips, on his hips to improve movement, lateral movement, being able to get a better defensive stance. 
He's shown an ability to step outside and hit three-pointers to expand his game. Tyrese Proctor is a guy that, you know, is a, a potentially elite on-ball defender. He has size at the point. You know, one of the problems they've had this year is the injuries have been problematic. Proctor missed multiple games with an ankle injury. Then Jeremy Roach was banged up. Then Mark Mitchell was banged up. They have had a degree of kind of one guy coming in and one guy coming out. I think that set them back a little bit. Right now, they are healthier, you know, at this point. But the North Carolina game was, a, you know, John Shire's takeaway from that was he didn't like their competitive edge is the way he described it. He said, North Carolina is really good. You can compete the way you need to and still lose. And we didn't compete the way we needed to in a game like this. And I think for some Duke fans, that may be a part where you look at you, that worries you a little bit. You know, is it just this team's makeup? Is it something they're working through that they got delayed piecing together as a unit because of injuries, one guy in and out of the lineup? Uh, that's a part that I think remains to be seen because when you watch them, again, the talent's there. They scored, you know, they dropped 84 points on a very good North Carolina defense, but they couldn't get a stop. North Carolina went roughly eight minutes in the second half of that game without missing consecutive shots. And you've got to be able to get stops, and you've got to get on the floor for loose balls like Harrison Ingram did in that game. Those were the things that John Shire was taking away, and that gets beyond the X's and O or even the individual talents of the guys, kind of like what you're saying. It's a little hard to pin down sometimes. Uh, also in the ACC, Virginia's now won seven in a row. They're 18-5 and five overall, 9-3 and three in conference play after their 60-38 to 38 win over normally high-scoring Miami last night. I watched Virginia some in November and December and didn't think they were very good. Uh yeah, this is, is this just another Tony Bennett coaching job, or is there more to it than that? Well, you know, the system is still there. You know, the defensive priority, the, you know, the pack line kind of thought, uh, concepts and everything that have worked well for them in the past. You know, Reese Beekman is a player that a lot of people like in terms of on the perimeter. Um, but, look, I mean, when you play Virginia, the long-standing challenge with them is, they're going to make you defend most of the shot clock. And if you don't get a rebound, they're going to make you do it again. You know, and then when you're on the other end, it becomes hard to be patient enough to kind of continue to work against that constant defensive pressure. You miss one or two shots, it sort of mounts on you at the other end. Like, you know, North Carolina hasn't won in Charlottesville and, you know, has gone long year, years without winning up there, even with, you know, a team that won the national title in 2017 that couldn't score up there. Um, you know, so it's it's the kind of thing, part of this is the formula with what Virginia's doing, but I think they've kind of begun to figure a few things out. You know, I mean, they got destroyed by Notre Dame, blown out by Wake Forest, who's, who's a good team, but Notre Dame is obviously not a great team. But since those games, you know, they've, they've seemed to have kind of gotten some things together. They're holding teams. The Miami score is, you know, crazy with 38 points, but these other games are holding teams in the 50s and 60s again. And I think, you know, meanwhile, they lost to Notre Dame. They gave up 76. They lost to NC State. They gave up 76. You know, you start looking at that, you're like, okay, the defense is better, and they do have some pieces like a Reese Beekman that people like. The question with them is going to be, you know, are they going to have enough runway with, with the resume in the tournament to make the tournament? Because obviously one of the discussions everybody's having, how many bids is the ACC going to get? Virginia is on the trajectory to get there but they're going to have to also finish strong and probably pick off one of these games against North Carolina or Duke potentially down the stretch. Talk with Aaron Beard of the Associated Press. Got a couple of quick things to end up with. Uh, first up, the ACC has declined, at least in depth, the last couple of years. 
Uh, why do you think that is? And also, of course, tonight it's UNC and Clemson in Chapel Hill. Clemson started, I uh, thought, pretty fast. Uh, not a greatest non-conference schedule. Maybe, that was, maybe that's why, but they've faded. Uh, Clemson has in the last few weeks. So uh, why is the ACC somewhat faded here as far as depth-wise in recent years, last couple years especially? And what should we look for tonight in Chapel Hill with uh, UNC and Clemson? I, I think it's a good question about the longer term about what's going on with the ACC. I, in some ways, you could say, all right, you have two ranked teams in the top 25. That's not what you expect, both North Carolina and Duke. But, you know, you look out, the, you look out there and there's been, you know, the, the transfer portal has, you know, you've had a lot of talent come in, but you've had a lot of talent like a Caleb Love going to Arizona. There's a lot of talent going out. Um, you know, NIL, the, all the, the things that are going on, I think everybody's trying to sort out, but the ACC has just sort of, you, you lose Roy Williams, you lose Mike Krzyzewski, you, you lose Jim Beheim. It is a little bit of a league in transition in that regard where things are changing. The face of the league is changing of, you know, teams, you know, coaches are getting younger. So there may be a degree of some of that. I mean, the question I have with the ACC is, you know, there's not – how many wins are out there to really help some of these teams that are on the bubble, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Miami, even NC State – down the stretch, you know, other than North Carolina and Duke, you know, what else is out there? And that's where the big 12 successes come in, where every game seems like it's a quadrant one game. There's not as many of those opportunities out there for these ACC teams to help themselves. Um, Clemson's a very good example too, where they beat Alabama this year. They beat TCU. They've still got to play at North Carolina tonight. They've still got to play at Wake as a quadrant one, but you know, it's been a, it's been a slog because, you know, there, there is a fair amount of parity in the league right now. And remember too, Clemson was within one second of winning at Cameron. You know, they got it. They got that game all the way down to the last second and lost on two free throws with one second left at Duke. Um, Clemson's been really close on a couple of things. So if, if I had to guess right now, I'm expecting right now four for the ACC, UNC, Duke, Clemson, and probably Virginia, assuming that trajectory holds. Um, you know, and again, tonight, th this is an opportunity, a golden one for Clemson. You know, but they've only won one time in Chapel Hill ever. You know, and that was in 2020. So we'll see if Clemson has it. They certainly have a star big man in P.J. Hall who can really give problems to teams, but Armando Bacot clearly locked him down in the first matchup, so that's going to be a tough matchup for Clemson. So it's like one to one win for Clemson and Chapel Hill in like a million years, right? It's, yeah, it's some I, I believe it's one in 60, I believe, is the record. Oh, my <laughs> I knew it was terrible. I knew it was something like that. Okay. It's less than a million, but yeah, 60 is a lot. All right, Aaron, good stuff as always. I appreciate it. We will be checking in with you, I'm sure, a little later on uh, before the ACC tournament starts for sure. So thanks for the time. Okay, thanks for having me on. I enjoy talking to you with you. Yeah, me too. Thanks much, and uh, good stuff from Aaron there. And uh, the ACC standings, uh, it's kind of a ball confusion to me for some extent. I mean, I like Carolina. How can you not like Carolina? I actually uh, a little more on Carolina in the next segment. Virginia is sitting at 9-3 and three now in conference play. I've watched them, as I mentioned, with Aaron. I watched them early in the uh, you know, non-conference season, and I thought, my God, you know, they're not good. They didn't really you know, recruit after they won the national championship. What has happened? And now they kind of look like they usually look. Uh, maybe not as good offensively. Uh, they don't have the sharpshooters that they certainly had in that national championship team, but they're 9-3. and three. Duke, as I mentioned, seven and three. I have no idea what I think of them. Seven and four would be NC State. 
Another team I'm pretty pretty confused about there. That uh, that's uh, they've got some. They certainly have some good individual players. I'm not exactly sure why they haven't been more consistent. Wake Forest, I do like them offensively. They can score. And uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times during the extra point the last couple of weeks, I definitely think that Wake Forest, they're, if they get in the NCAA tournament, I don't think you want to play them because they can get hot. And uh, one game they can get hot and your team is done. Florida State, 6-4. and four, They're always better at this, as the season continues with Leonard Hamilton. Miami's a huge disappointment. They've had a lot of NCAA tournament success the last two years. Near the 38 points last night at Virginia was uh, baffling. Uh, you know, Jim Laranega was so upset, their head coach, that he didn't even participate in one of the huddles. There was actually some speculation after the game that maybe he was sick uh, and ill. Uh, but yeah, he was pretty you know, enthusiastic towards the end of the game. Yeah, Syracuse with Jim Beheim and now retired. And uh, yeah, Red Autry now the coach uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, in Virginia Tech all sitting at five and six in conference play. Clemson, uh, they did now have those two conference, the, the TCU and uh, the Alabama wins, and I should have included that with my Clemson ass- assessment there. But uh, they're, four, they're now four and six in conference play and 14 and seven overall. And I'm not sure how good they are. Boston College, Georgia Tech, Boston College, four and six. Don't think much of them. Georgia Tech is an interesting team, obviously, with Damon Stoudemire, the former U of A player, the head coach. They've beaten Duke and North Carolina at home. Uh, Certainly, they're building something there. They've got some good young freshmen. And then the two teams at the bottom of the ACC right now, Louisville, two and nine. Rick Pitino, obviously. Uh, forced out of there with good reason, a few, a lot of good reasons a few years ago, and uh, they've never recovered from that. But it's sad that Louisville, one of the best and most consistent college basketball programs in my 66-year lifetime, they're really bad. I mean, really bad. And Notre Dame, Mike Bray, retired at the end of last year, and they're also really bad at 2-9. and nine. And uh, Louisville and Notre Dame tied for last Usually those teams are like, you know, in the top five or six in this conference. I think that the, those two programs kind of typify the lack of depth that this conference has that we're used to seeing for many, many years.